right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's now uh, Thursday night, January 15, 2015, and this, of course, is the Ion College Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try uh, the new Squarespace, go to squarespace.com. Enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off that Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. I'm joined uh, tonight uh, by Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini, of course. And I want to start with the Duke Blue Devils. Undefeated when they woke up on Sunday morning, run off the court by NC State, run off the court, their home court, uh, by Miami. The back-to-back games now, they've given up at least 87 points. NC State and Miami both shot better than 50%, 50% against Duke. Sam, how big are Duke's defensive issues right now? They're pretty massive. I mean, my biggest thing is that they, I don't know how they're going to fix them either because they run that two point guard system with Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook. And that's clearly their best lineup right now because Rashid Suleiman isn't really giving them anything off the bench. And that lineup is just getting torched by guards. They Duke has given up 25 points to Trey Jackson, 22 points to Ryan Boatwright, 21 to Trevor Lacey, and then 24 to Angel Rodriguez plus whatever uh, LeConte scored on Monday night as well. So the game was Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember. Um, but they have serious problems defending slashing guards, getting to the hoop and defending guards that are quick enough just to beat Tyus Jones and uh, uh, Quinn Cook off the dribble. And plus, honestly, we talk about how good Jaleel Okafor is. He's really having problems with high ball screens and trying to defend people on the perimeter in the pick and roll. So why did it take so long for this to show up? Um, I think that part of it was probably just the way that their schedule went. Like Wisconsin runs that swing offense. They don't really do a ton of high ball screens. Uh, Michigan State's talent level just probably really wasn't great enough to give them problems on a neutral floor. UConn's the same way. So I think that they got a really good matchup with Wisconsin. And outside of that, they haven't totally been tested yet. Like even the Stanford game, uh, Chase on Randall kind of, took them apart a little bit and kept that game close for a while. So I think that it's more, they just hadn't been tested properly yet until they got to ACC play. And now that they're there, it's kind of starting to show up a little bit more. And there's no reason to think it gets better quickly. Like I'm not the type of guy who looks, Oh, they have to face Terry Rozier and Chris Jones. Right. Right. So good luck. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually headed to that game. I, I, when I booked the flight, the idea was I would get to see Mike Krzyzewski go for his 1,000th win. <laughs> now I, I'm going to be in attendance. It'll be historic. I will be in attendance when Mike Krzyzewski is an underdog in an attempt to try to get his 998th win. And so uh, it has not played out the way uh, I anticipated or the way anybody anticipated. But my point is uh, I'm not the guy that sits around middle of January and talks about, well, this is going to be the reason they can't it's not the reason they can't do anything. Like they can still go to a final four, win a championship. Like where where was UConn this time last year, but they've already dropped two ACC games and they are, you know, barring an upset, going to drop another one on Saturday. You can get this stuff fixed over time, but you can't get it fixed in a matter of days before you go play Terry Rozier and Chris Jones. Can you Matt? Hey guys. Good to be back on the podcast. Nice to have you here. (laughs) How was skiing by the way? Skiing was good. Skiing was tremendous. Honestly, there are only talking with you guys, covering sports, playing guitar, and skiing. That's that's my Mount Rushmore of of Norlander fun activities. And um, 
I did no, very much up- to hate us right now. I did very much uh, <laughs> upload the podcast in a dive bar in Killington, Vermont, and I could barely like I had headphones on so I could hear you, but it was kind of getting loud in there. And so I was like, all right, this sounds like it should be cut correctly. So hopefully last Thursday's, you know, debut evening podcast went well. But uh, that was a, that was a very good experience. And um, yeah, but anyway, good to it's, be back. It's nice to have you back. But the, to, to Duke. Um, yeah, to Duke. So they, can they get it straight by Saturday? Uh, yeah, they can. Um, I think they're going to beat Louisville. Oh, I, wow. I don't... Look, listen to you. Well, you're talking to a guy that basically wrote off Virginia's hopes at winning the ACC regular season title and kind of handed it to Duke, so I can't, I can't back down from this. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, it's not a good sign with how Duke has played over the past two games. Um, I'm inclined to think it's more aberrational than Sam because they were certainly much better. Like I would argue that Michigan State does have – a better collective overall roster and players for what they want to face against Duke than Miami does. Um, I think that game was so weird the way that the Hurricanes were able to just steamroll Duke, and I, I was uh, I was not able to watch it live. I, I DVR'd it, went back, watched it, and it was. I think that will go down as one of the most surprising results of the season because I don't think Duke is going to lose more than five total uh, prior to the selection Sunday. But I mean, they've you know. Temple's a team that whacked Kansas. They, they were fine with them. Stanford is a team I think is the second-best team in the Pac-12. Duke handled them relatively well. I know Wisconsin doesn't run the same kind of stuff, and Duke had a wild game from the field that night. They've, they've looked pretty good uh, throughout the season, uh, more on offense than defense, but their defense was not lacking. This was not a, a team that really had gaping holes. And so maybe they just have had uh, a bad couple of days. I mean, you know, their two losses came on a Sunday and then on a Tuesday. This is certainly a huge game that they will be an underdog in. I, I'm not as big on Louisville as everyone, and, and even, as, even as much as I once was. Um, but Krzyzewski's had teams with much worse defenses than this wind up with two seeds and, and do pretty well for themselves over the course of a season. So I think that they will get this straightened out, and they still will be – um, in position at worst for a two seed come selection Sunday, um, but yeah, sure they, they've got some weaknesses in terms of size and how they're going to play on the perimeter. But at least you know, I mean Duke's always interesting, I guess. But I like I kind of like the fact that they're hitting some some sort of challenge here, and and it's it's now we've kind of passed the torch from Kentucky getting taken to some some real close situations and winning. And Calipari was right when he said, you know, overtime games for us are losses in terms of perception. I think that's right. But uh, with Duke playing the way it has over the past, you know, few days here, now the two teams that look to be a cut above the rest of the sport don't necessarily. But let's not – like, I still think it's clearly Kentucky and Duke, in my opinion, that are, that are the two best. What about Virginia? How could you be dismissive of Virginia like that? I'm not. I'm not dismissive. Sounded Listen, dismissive. Sounded Virginia dismissive. now number one in Ken Palm. I think it's been that way for a few days, even over Kentucky. Um, they are ridiculous. Um, they have. I don't think this has ever happened before. Uh, maybe I should give old uh, Kenneth a text. But so the way that his system works, he he has a different way of evaluating team value or player value. So like his his Ken Palm Player of the Year watch is all in tempo free. Uh, guidelines and numbers. Virginia, this is like, you know, logically it seems impossible. Four of the top 10 most valuable players <laughs> are, are on Virginia. 
Like that's that's just stupid. That should not that should not be possible. But uh, Anthony Gill is actually number one. Justin Anderson's been the breakout player, if you will. And then Sam's preseason man crush and Malcolm Brockton. He's been good, but you know he's he's only at six right now. So I'm plenty high on Virginia. Um, I just think Duke is is a better team through and through. And if they played on a neutral court, I would I would take Duke to win. You would take Duke right now over Virginia on a neutral. I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, don't I would not either. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't. Not right now. Just, just to throw this out there as well. Like, I'm not down on Duke by any means. I still think they're like a top two seed in the NCAA tournament. Me when too. That, we, let, yeah, let's be clear. We, yeah, we like, all I, agree on this. Saying, yeah, but Matt did say that uh, Coach K has like had worse defenses than this and made far greater waves. Like, uh, they're 64th right now in adjusted defense per Ken Palm. That would be the second worst of the. Uh, Ken Palm era for Coach K. Nah, but don't look at the rank. Don't look at the ranking. Don't look at the ranking. Look at the actual points against adjusted. You know, in terms of you know. Yeah, it would still be third worst. Nerd alert! Nerd alert! Nerd alert! (laughs) GP, you can't go nerd alert when you cite Ken Palm just as much as us on this podcast. I know, but I'm not here arguing about. Look at the number. Look at the adjusted this and that. Well, hey, when we're having a discussion, context matters. Hey, hey, you guys continue. Continue being nerds. the two times that they lost in the first round to Lehigh and to Mercer were the two times that this defense, this defensive rating has been as close as it is to what the 2015 iteration is right now. Oh my God. I know what you're saying. They're going to lose to Kiefer Sykes and Green Bay in the first round. They're going right now. I'm not saying they're going to lose to the 15 seed in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but this team does have big defensive issues that are not going to be fixed overnight. And it wouldn't surprise me if we're looking at like a five or six loss team. Like right now, they're projected to go eleven and seven in the ACC. Yeah, I think that's I think that's nuts. I think they'll lose five games total. Like they'll probably drop at Carolina. Uh, they'll lose at Notre Dame, right? Do they have a road game at Notre Dame? I think they do. Um, and they'll lose at Virginia. So I think those will be the three they lose. I think they'll beat Louisville. Hey, when when is Notre Dame going to stop holding its student athletes accountable? Oh, yeah, God. I know. Um, is it me or has it been like? For the past seven seasons, Notre Dame has lost like an important player. I might be blending football, but there's someone that's always unable to get on the field or on the court with Notre Dame because their grades aren't up to snuff, but there's some sort of vague academic problem. You know, Zach August, will they will need him in the long run. Um, but to me, Notre Dame overall uh, would be interested in what you guys think. I think they're the most underrated team in the country. Uh, I just think people don't realize that they're 16 and two and have have had a terrific offense led by Jerry and Grant, who's going to be a top 20 pick. Well, they're how are they underrated? They're like where are they ranked? They're like ranked like really under high. in terms of I nah, I don't know. I, I feel like um I feel I like Notre, it, go ahead go ahead Matt. I just think I feel like Notre Dame is like one of the six best teams in the country, and I don't get the sense that people believe that. Right. I don't know that I would say sixth, but I agree with you public perception-wise that if, it feels like they aren't really getting a lot of attention necessarily despite their high rating. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, you're right. I don't know the exact numbers, Matt, but it, it does seem like every year it's a football player here or three football players there or two basketball players here or a basketball player there. For the second straight year, um, at least for the time being, they're operating without a very important piece. And um, – it just must be a weird dilemma for for Mike Bray because on one hand you look at Duke, you look at 
Carolina, you look at Louisville, you look at Syracuse, and you go, I've got to recruit a certain type of player to be able to compete with these guys. And then you end up with a certain type of player, and at least in multiple cases now, that, that certain type of player can't, seemingly can't do the work that that it requires to be in school at Notre Dame. And I, I just wonder if this is ever the type of thing that makes you say, you know what, maybe I need to get somewhere else. I've, I, I've talked to enough coaches to know that academic standards become a huge issue in terms of jobs they, they desire and do not desire. And I just wonder, at what point do you get tired of losing a key player every year? I'm not sure. I, you know, Gary, you and I have talked about this on the podcast in the past and even, you know, off air. Um, Bray seems to be an exception to, I think, a rule that we agree on him and GAT3 at Georgetown, who's now been there uh, 11 seasons. And that and that's coaches who aren't like bona fide legends, guys whose names you would, you know, hang on a banner in a raft or whatever. Usually at a, a major school, you know, you get six to eight years to really make some headway. And then either you, you know, get promoted to a better job or you just go on to a different job. Bray has been there well over a decade at this point. And he's had some success, not great success. A lot of headaches with getting the guys he needs into that program. I think he's been so good for the school. I know sometimes fans have gotten frustrated in that he's had good teams that have not amounted to anything in the tournament. But this one, I, I don't have a read on Bray in terms of like if he's good at Notre Dame for another eight to ten years or if stuff like this will start, you know, who would want him and where would he might want to go? I'm not entirely sure, GP. You know, I um, the rule, just so people know what we're talking about, I've, I have a fundamental belief that unless you're a Hall of Famer, like, like, like want to go, to go down as an icon at the particular school where you coach, particularly at the high, high major level, um, you better bounce jobs about every six, seven, eight years because otherwise you're going to reach a point where um, – where the fans just get tired of you. It doesn't matter if you're still doing in year 10 exactly what you were doing in year three that they were excited about in year three. It's just going to turn on you one way or another. And so I, I don't want to speak for Buzz Williams, but I think he he sort of subscribes to that as well. And it's, it's among the reasons, many reasons, but among the reasons um, he was willing to bounce from Marquette to Virginia Tech when he, when he actually did. And so, um, but Bray, like to your point, he seems to be, I don't think anybody would call Mike Bray a Hall of Famer or even an icon, but he seems to be somebody who, you know, all these years into it is on pretty decent ground. Like I, you know, you do you did the hot seat um, thing this year. No, you, yeah. you didn't put Mike Bray on it. You know, when's the last time Mike Bray was under any kind of real pressure? So it's he seems to be an exception to, um, to a larger rule. Yeah, but yes, and I guess I mean, do we give? Here's the funny thing is like, do we give credit to Notre Dame for, I guess, essentially like holding itself to its own standards? It's one of those things where like, you know, Bray, it's out of, he's, you know, basically, you know, Bray's not happy about this. He's, he's, he's a guy who's great with the media and he said, it's out of my hands. And when a coach says that he's, you know, essentially just putting it on in the administration and he understands that. Um, but I mean, don't you get to a certain point here where if you're, uh, I guess if you're a power player at Notre Dame, maybe you get a little sick of it. You know, do you just Bray feel pressure? You can't keep having guys. I mean, Jerry and Grant missed a year. I mean, granted, his team is now benefiting from that because 
the roster and the talent this season are amounting to a team that's 16 and two and could be a two seed. But this is something that's been a recurring problem. But it's not something that's going to change. You wouldn't think because they don't. They you know they'll they'll mess up a football program over this stuff as well. Like I know. You and know, think about how big. I mean, basketball is right. just nothing compared to the football. Yeah. Hey, uh, you you mentioned something that's interesting to me um, in terms of like job bouncing and is it beneficial to do it unless you're going to be an icon? I don't think anybody's a better example of that right now. Uh, than Frank Hayes, who's got Tulsa off to a 4-0 start in the American Athletic Conference. They're the only undefeated team in the American. Now, I don't think that means they're going to win that league, and I don't think it means they're the best team in that league. But Frank Hayes was, I guess people could debate this, but I think this is basically true, about a year away from getting fired at Miami, bounced to Missouri, and probably one more bad year away from getting bounced at Missouri, uh, from getting moved at Missouri, and then he bounced to Tulsa, and now he's got a team that's in first place in what is a, a quality basketball league. Is anybody smart? Anybody got the basketball coaching profession figured out right now, Sam, better than Frank Haith? I don't know. I mean, he keeps going to these schools that have pretty decent returning rosters. Like at Tulsa, they returned a lot of that NCAA tournament team last year that Danny Manning had. At Missouri, they returned uh, Phil Pressey, Marcus Denman, all those guys, uh, Kim English, I think. And then I don't really remember the Miami uh, situation whenever he got there. I don't think it was particularly great. I think that uh, he never really got that program totally going, if I'm not mistaken. But like at Missouri, like they, he kind of, realized that he uh, had outstayed his welcome and just jumped. And now he has Tulsa going and the roster at Tulsa is pretty perfect for the American and might be able to scratch and claw to an NCAA tournament bid, but probably not. But I mean, the expectations are lower there too. So it seems like he's kind of figured it out. Like you said, Hey Matt, I uh, earlier this week wrote a column about uh, Dayton and how after coming off an elite eight last year, um, you know, they've been hit from a variety of angles that have uh, things that have limited their roster to the point where they now only have six scholarship players, nobody taller than six foot six. And yet they're on a seven game winning streak uh, right now. Uh, is, is it more impressive Archie Miller taking Dayton to Elite Eight or Archie Miller actually continuing to win despite all of these roster limitations? Either way, is it is it fair to call him somebody who's solidified his place among the quote rising stars in the profession yeah this is more impressive i mean listen it's not easy to get to an elite eight but it is winning three games and maybe your team gets hot and you get the right opponents and uh magic in a bottle i'm um, maybe more fascinated with this than anything this season i'm not joking for a, for a team to be 14 and 2 lost big players off an elite eight team archie kicks off his two tallest remaining players after a dorm room theft. Um, six scholarship. I mean, you just you laid it out. To have six guys on scholarship, no one over 6'6", A-10 is not a terrible league, and they've started off four up, four down, all wins. I don't really know how he's doing this, and he has built Dayton into uh, a pretty decent at-large candidate to this point. They're going to have to really hopefully win the games they need to win down the stretch and they should be in uh, listen he had he had job offers after what they did last year and job opportunities i would think they're only going to increase this season unless dayton totally bottoms out because when you can do this um and then you can have your agent go to any desperate ad and say you know 
Look at his last name. Look at what he's done. You know, look what he did two seasons ago, and then look what he did this season. Um, I, I Big things are ahead for Archie Miller. He is getting to the point, getting there, just getting there, where he is going to be considered among the three or four biggest coaching names under 40 years old. You know what? Like, What's interesting is that if you talk to other coaches, they all have a really high opinion of him. Like They, they, they label him as elite. Like He is... He's not just somebody who got hot and went to an elite eight. He's somebody who is going to be one of the giants in this sport. I mean, he's only 36 years old right now. I yeah. mean, when we, I think this. We look up, what is it, 2015? We look up in 2025, I bet you Archie will be on somebody's list of top five coaches in America. You know? I think that's absolutely going to be the case. And you yeah. said you don't know how he's doing it. Let me. He doesn't know how he's doing it either. Um, but but one of the things I found fascinating is so often we hear, you know, coaches, I don't know if it's make excuses, but they just sort of explain their situation like, ah, you know, where our point guard got hurt or, you know, we lost our starting center or, you know, these two kids didn't get elig- ineligible. And for people who don't re- uh, realize exactly what happened, first, they had a, um, a 6'11 center freshman who's a partial qualifier. So he's in school, he's practicing, but he cannot play. Then there are two other centers who was going to be their starting center and backup center, who was their starting center and backup center. They got involved in the uh, on-campus theft situation, so they had to be removed. Had another player have to end his career because of concussion-related symptoms. And uh, then there's an, a, a junior college player who had a preseason knee operation or procedure, and he's never played the season. So you add all that stuff up. And they only have six scholarship players. Nobody is taller than six foot six. Um, I thought this was funny. Kentucky's starting backcourt is the same yeah. size as yeah. Dayton's <laughs> starting frontcourt. Okay, so um, I so I'm talking to Arch about this, and I'm like, you know, like, what, you know, how do you even address this? Like, it must be uh, natural on some level to just go, hey, you know, this is let's just chalk this up to one of those seasons. And he said, you know what? What I've tried. He said, if you start trying to make excuses, whether it's publicly or privately. Your kids are going to hear that. And then it just seeps into everything. He said, so what I've done is turned everything into a positive for us. So rather than talk about us being shorthanded, I explained to my players, we're now in a situation where, hey, we only need five to play. And all you guys came here to play. So you get to play through mistakes. You're going to play more minutes. You're going to get better more quickly. So this is actually going to help us. And Rather than talk about being short in the front court, I now talk about how much skill we have all over the floor. Like, yeah, we don't have a 6'10 dude on the court anymore, but guess what? We have guys who can handle the basketball at basically every position because we're all little dudes. And so I've really stressed the idea that this is, can, can be advantageous to us. And that has been his message to his players over and over again. And he didn't say this. I'll, I'll say it. He doesn't believe any of that. He'd much rather have two six foot ten dudes and nine scholarship players. Uh, but I, I thought it was really sort of maybe a, a larger coaching lesson for other people that when you are, you know, find yourself in the middle of this situation, like look for something to like try to sell it to the guys involved and see if you can capture uh, something in a bottle. And it's I'm with you. I don't know, Matt, where this is going to end up. Like it could all fall apart. Any day, and even Archie said it could all fall apart any day. Uh, but so far, um, it's been, I think, one of the more impressive coaching jobs in America. Sam, is that fair? Oh yeah, absolutely. Anytime that you're playing in a top six, seven league in America, and your 
performing like this. It's absolutely amazing. And the thing about the way that Dayton's schedule lines up, they only face the top four teams in the A-10 once. They only get George Washington, Davidson, VCU, and Rhode Island, who are, you know, like the top five clearly in the A-10 this year, I think. Um, They only get them once all year, and that's going to be – a really interesting case, I think, whenever it comes down to NCAA tournament selection time, because Dayton probably isn't going to have a lot of great marquee wins, but they're going to rack up what will probably be like a 25-5 and five record. And it's probably going to be impossible to keep them out at that point, right? I think oh, so. Yeah, you're not oh, oh, if they go 25-5, and five, trust yeah. me, they'll yeah. be in. I don't know that they're going to Even if they that, have zero but... top 50 wins. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, they'll, you'll get, they'll be in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No. It'll be impossible to keep them out. Um, A ten overall. I mean, they they uh, Dayton gets at Davidson next week before we talk again. Um, winner of that game will be seen as the second best team in the A ten. And just you know, a quick note on Davidson. That's a that's a team that was picked, I think, tenth preseason. Um, Bob McKillop. You talk about a guy that coaches praise. I mean, that guy's reputation is about as good as any when it just comes to basketball smarts. So in one way, it's not totally surprising, but in another way, people thought Davidson would need a year or two before it was, you know, kicking some ass in the conference play like it has in most years under McKillop. But they've they've adjusted nicely, and the A-10 is, uh, I would think, on pace for a four-bid season, which we weren't sure was going to be the case when we talked in late November. Now, Davidson got a nice midweek road win at UMass, and they are awesome offensively. Like, when I did that Tony Bennett column a couple weeks ago, I talked to Tony the day before they were getting ready to play Davidson. And his wife and kids were out of town. Like, his wife's from Baton Rouge, Tony Bennett. So they were, like, there for the holidays, like, spending time with her family. So he was like, I'm just, like, you know, I'm a bachelor. Like, and I'm just, like, watching Davidson over and over again. He's like, geez, they're really good offensively. And, uh, yeah. you know, they had Virginia, uh, not on the ropes, that's an exaggeration, but they, I think they had, they were ahead at halftime. They were up, they were up comfortably for a few minutes in the first half of that game. Right. No, I think yeah. they were ahead at halftime. And so, uh, but either way, like, they're, that's an elite-level basketball team on the offensive end uh, of the court. And probably the best Davidson team we've seen since Steph was there. Is that fair? I think that's about fair, yeah. Probably, nothing's going yeah. to be on the level of Steph and, uh, and the white – was it the white white lobster? Remember the, remember the kid? What remember was his the, name? He was the white lobster, right? The kid with the red hair? I don't remember that. The white. I'm almost positive. Someone listening is going to let us know and confirm this. But they had a. Oh, I can't remember his name. Quick, quick, random, funny side note. There was a guy in that team. Um, remember um, Andrew? Uh, oh, why am I? You love Dale. Yeah, thank you. I'm blanking on his name. He went on and married my next door neighbor, and I did not realize this until I saw her wedding photos on Facebook, and it, she changed her last name, and I hadn't talked to the girl in like ten years. But she married, and she's from Vermont. Strangest thing ever. But she went to, uh, she went to Davidson. Anyway, how, how sweet. Anyway, that Bob McKillop. To your point, <laughs> Bob McKillop is doing a nice it's just, job. It's just the most random Davidson. thing ever. The girl who grew up next door to me married, you know, Andrew Lovedale. It was just crazy. Anyway, the, go ahead. the girl who grew up next door to me married the guy who lived across the street. Well, there you go. Uh, remember today's Island College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website, or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with Squarespace 7 interface, including 
Integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages, and Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content's going to look great on every device every time. Start a free trial. There's no credit card required, and get to building your website today. And when you decide to sign up with Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Do I sound as sick as I feel like I sound? You sound very sexy. Sexy? Is that the word you used? <laughs> that is the word I used. You, you sound like Tony Bennett looks. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Jeez. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather. I worry about how... Um, how I, uh, I wonder, I, I, I'm sniffling as if I have the same type of Coke problem that Sam has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly that's, I stopped hanging out with John Jones over the weekend. So Thank I think God. We'll be okay. How about John Jones going to rehab for a day? That's got it. I would say that's got to be a record, but I know it's not. It can't possibly be a record as long as Lindsay Lohan has lived in this world. But um, right. can you, can you solve your Coke problem in a day? Uh, Sam, I'm I asking think, you. I think Socrates <laughs> once asked that question. You know what? How about this, though? Let, uh, not to get too off track here, but but is it possible? Because I think everybody assumes you're an elite-level athlete. You test positive for Coke. must have a Coke problem, so now you got to go to rehab. And I have no idea whether John Jones has a Coke problem or not. I've never hung out with him. And and also just – Just so people are aware, John Jones is an MMA fighter. Right. Some people might not be. No, yeah, he's the best there is. He's like the biggest dude in that sport. It would be like if – if um, like if LeBron James had a coke problem, yeah, right, yeah. Re- you know, all relatively speaking. And so, um, how about this? Because I got in an argument with a guy the other day. What if he doesn't have a coke problem? What if he was just out partying and somebody was like, "Yo, man, you want to blow a line?" And he blew a line, and that was it. And then he was like, "Oh God, I got a random drug test," and then he failed it. And he, and so it looked like he has a failed drug test. He actually did blow a line of coke, but. <laughs> He didn't have a coke problem. He just it was like out partying one night and whatever. Like, isn't that reasonable, Sam? Isn't that isn't that closer to your story than not? I think it sounds reasonable. I think that's very reasonable. And so when people were like, "Oh my God, isn't it sad? He left rehab after a day. What if he never needed to be in rehab to begin with? What if he didn't really have a problem? What if he was just partying one night?" Yeah, no, I think that that's a reasonable story without knowing anything at all into this. Uh problem in any way i'm not above trying to rationalize coke use if that's what if that's uh, what you're asking clearly. if that's what you're asking uh, norlander you did a piece on the most successful college football and basketball schools for the past 20 years we're going to include it in news and notes presented by squarespace florida was at the top did that surprise you at all uh not totally um i i'd been interested in the information there for a while and wondered if if anyone had done any kind of deep dive on this. Uh, I thought it would be Florida and then Ohio State and then Texas. That wasn't actually the case. I I mean, the pieces up, people can give it a read if they like, but I, I went to four different categories essentially for, for hoops and football. And Florida was the only one that in both football and basketball was top 15 in win percentage, elite in final four and, and bowl game trips, in national championship appearances in football, NCAA tournament trips. It is actually now, now I'm intrigued and kind of want to write the story on how this is even possible because no one was even close. Wisconsin was the only one, and they were in like four combined categories. Florida swept it across all eight. Um, it can't just be budget. Your piece kind of debunked that theory in general with the SEC, um, but it is 
Florida in a runaway. Maybe some of that's geography. Obviously, some of it is coaching with Donovan, but it's not coaching just on the football side because they've had good coaches and they've had misfires. So the Gators' ability to be so good across a 20-year span uh, is pretty remarkable when you consider that no one else is really even that close. In the past, if you reduced it from 20 years to about 10 or 12 years, Ohio State gets closer. But, uh, but as you get to a smaller sample size, then there are going to be obviously more teams that factor in. So I wanted to kind of span 20 years or what you can consider five different recruiting class you know, eras, so to speak. Forget the past 20 years for a second. Sam, if I asked you what school has the best combination of football coach and men's basketball coach right now, how would you answer? Oh, wow. Um, we'll throw out some obvious ones. Ohio State, Thad Mata. Ohio State. Okay, uh, yeah, okay, so Ohio State's got Thad Mata and Urban Meyer. Michigan's got Beeline and Harbaugh. Um, uh, Arizona would be up there. I think Sean it, Miller and Rich Rod. I don't know. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that, how about you? Here's one that would be up there that I bet people wouldn't get to Auburn. Yeah. Gus Malzahn and Bruce Pearl. Yeah, I agree with that. That's pretty good. What other ones? Uh, Norlander, you got any? I'm trying. I mean, I actually, I really like the Michigan one. Um, but because uh, Harbaugh's proven it, I mean, at San Diego and at Stanford. Um, uh, who else? Uh, hey, Mike Krzyzewski and David Cutcliffe. Cutcliffe is pretty respected, although they did have a drop this year. Um, Petrino and Patino. I would, I would, I would say it's probably Ohio State because Urban Myers. I mean, some will say Saban, but a lot of people would say Myers the best. And Mata on win percentage alone, and some of that's because he doesn't schedule that toughly non-conference wise. But Mata is a top 15 coach, so I, I think Ohio State is the answer. Um, but, I mean, I, I, do you either of you have any thoughts why Florida is so clearly the only school that can, that can claim to be elite in both basketball and football? Because it's something that no one else can do. Budgets be damned. Coaching be damned. Anything. Oh, sure, other can do yeah. like, Ohio State can do it. But they have not proven to be able to do it over a two-decade span at this point. Well, two decades is a long time. That's Orlando. the point. Yeah. Who can do it over – that's the point. It's not, I don't think – I don't, like I don't think – a hot six-year period. Who can my, do My it? guess on this is that Florida had two super, super elite coaches in football in Meyer and Spurrier during right. that time. So they kind of racked up high in football even though they had those down years with Muschamp and Zook. And then they've had Billy Donovan for – 15 of that 20 yeah, he, years. He, no, right? He's been there the entire time that this, yeah, he's, he's been the constant. So, yeah, I so, don't, I don't, I just think 20 years is like a long time. Like, can anybody sustain anything over 20 years in this era of college athletics? Exactly. Yeah, there was a down Ohio State period at, be, at the beginning of that for football and even a little bit for basketball, too, or I meant basketball, then football. And just, but as a quick go. side note, sorry to interrupt you, Sam. You know what I, I really wasn't totally tuned into is just how freaking good Florida State has been. Um, they're only one of two schools to have made a bowl game every single year, and they had the most. You know, the ACC I guess is down, and Miami hasn't been in, in its top form. But FSU had more conference regular season conference titles than anyone. Um, I thought Florida State was good, but I guess you didn't, I, think, you didn't realize Florida State was good at football. No, no, no. I knew they were. I knew they were good, but before I had done it, I would not have said. I would not have said over the past twenty years, Florida State was a top three program, and that is clearly the case. You would. You would probably go Ohio State one, 
Bama two, Florida State three. That's probably Florida four. It's probably what uh, the order I'd put it in. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Anyway, that's I thought it. of another uh, coaching combination that okay. we probably should mention: Lon Kruger and. I, I was just looking at that one too. I was going through the top twenty-five. Bob Stoops, Lon Kruger is a is absolutely um, uh, a good one. Um, I'm trying to go through the rest of them. Uh, you know did what? You, did you touch Izzo and D'Antonio? If you, if you're no, right. that, oh, they wow. they belong on the list. Uh, how about this? That's probably top five. Art Briles, Scott Drew. Uh, Say what you want. Here's Baylor again, ranked in the top twenty-five, coming off a win over Iowa State. Oh, uh, it's not. It's not the Drew factor. I mean, Bryles. Like, yeah, Bryles is pretty good. Bryles, Bryles is, is awesome. Mar- Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's remarkable because he came to the game so late because he was a high school coach for so long, and now he's he's balling out. So no, um, but that's yeah. it. If if you could take any combination though, going forward for the next ten years, you could have any combination. It'd probably be Meyer and Matter, right? Thad Mata, Urban Meyer. <laughs> Yes, that would be the combo for the next 10 years. Yeah. That would be my choice. I think that's right. I agree with that, too. Okay, so Wyoming got ranked uh, this week, and that was uh, big for Larry Shia, big for that program. And then they went out and lost a home game to San Diego State. Wyoming, just a nice little story. They got ranked or a legitimate top 25 team, Norlander? Ooh, um, nice little story. They're going to make the tournament. That conference is going to send three. It's going to be a fun little race. People, I've been high on San Diego State kind of consistently all year. I think that is the best team in that league. Um, but Nance's kid is a freaking blast to watch, man. Just a uh, fearless, terrific dunker, hops for, hops for days and nights. And no reason to think why Cowboys won't get there. Uh, by there, I mean NCAA tournament. It would be Shyatt's first trip there. Um, that court, by the way, is gorgeous. I was watching that game, San Diego State-Wyoming, on Wednesday night. Just uh it's one of my favorite courts, and Gottlieb then asked me to rank my top five, and I said I couldn't do it. So, do you guys have a, a favorite court by chance? I don't pay attention to the. Neither do I. Too often. Yeah, no, I, I'm just trying. I'm trying to fluster Gary by going off topic a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, like you can't fluster me because I'll just say I don't care about that. <laughs> that, is, that is your that is your get out of jail card, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My uh, my uh, my Trump card is always. I just I've never thought about that because I couldn't care less about that. Yeah. Well, anyway, point is, uh, San Diego State is going to, I'll, you know, I'll do a quick forecast here. I think San Diego State will win the league, um, get around a four seed. Wyoming is going to be right there with them with Colorado State. I think those are the three that will get there. And I think they will all likely be in that single digit range because they've, uh, they've racked up good records to this point, And I think they're going to beat up on the bottom of the league. So good on them. And at least the Mountain West is going to be able to capitalize on Having a few more solid teams and, you know, I, the bubble is always is what it is. But I think that those three, there won't be any question. I think they'll be uh, flatly and clearly in. Sam, let's wrap up with this. Uh, big injury news from earlier in this week. Trayvon Jackson is out at Wisconsin. Fractured foot. Going to miss a significant amount of time. How significant is this uh, to Wisconsin? Um, I think it's pretty significant into the immediate future in that he is the guy that they count on on the perimeter to really create something at the end of the shot clock or to really like get their offense going if they need some sort of little burst. But also, I think it might be decent for them to get Bronson Koenig involved, to get a couple of the other bench guards involved, just because I guess the one question that I had about them going into the year was depth. Like outside of their top seven, could anyone else step up and really become a role player on that team off the bench you could maybe get like a 10 point outburst from um i haven't really seen anyone step up like that yet from them so i think that 
in the long run, this might help them there. But I also think that this probably knocks Wisconsin down to a clear two seed, maybe even a three seed come NCAA tournament time, just because Jackson's really important to what they do on offense. Hey, GP. Yep. Can I hop in here and just uh, Please. Get, get your quick thoughts here um, on Saturdays because there's a couple big games? Yeah. Uh, one, K- Kansas at Iowa State. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty big. Uh, I think Iowa State wins at home. I do, I do too. And, I you do know, too. and you know how much I, I think of too. Kansas. I have them ranked fifth in the top 25 of yep. one right now. I love Kansas, but I just I will, I don't know. I think I've reached a point with Hilton that I just will never pick anybody to win there except for Iowa State. <laughs> well, Kansas, and Kansas does have a couple of controversial wins there in recent years. Yes. And if Kansas does win that game, I mean, Bill Self's going to win the freaking Big 12 again. They're going to be 4-0, and they'll have had their toughest road game out of the way, in my opinion. Um, just a side note, not really a question. Uh, Connecticut plays at Stanford. They're probably going to lose that game, and their at-large hopes will will expire. They would need to basically nearly run the table to have any chance. Expire? So, You're already expiring somebody's at-large Dude, they'd hopes? be 9-7 and seven at that point. I mean, the American isn't going to have enough. Do you disagree? I mean, if, if Connecticut loses at Stanford, which they probably are, do you think they'll have a chance to be an at-large team, and we'll be talking about them in, at the end of February? I think it is possible to lose at Stanford and still be an at-large team, if only because, my God, I rank the top 25 and one every morning, and I get to 17, and I want to slit my wrist. <laughs> there, are, there are about 17 teams that feel like they ought to be ranked. And then it's, uh. like, and then it's like, go, go try it. I, I, think that, I think this is true. There are about eight, 17, 18 teams that everybody should have ranked in the top 25. And then after that, like, whatever. Like, it is just a mess. So Okay, so here's, here's, here would be my question for you, or argument. So within that grouping, you still consider Connecticut among those teams? No, 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 no. But I'm just saying, like, it is mid-January, and we got to put 68 teams in this stupid tournament. Yeah, I just don't think they're going to overcome it. Um, oh, you got no. them in a must-win situation then. I, I do. I, I feel I like if they win situations. it, I feel like if they win it, it actually be really huge, and that'll help them out because they don't have the resume. Like they don't have the wins this point at all. And Only one loss Phoenix. outside of the top one hundred at Kimpom. Only one loss outside of the top seventy at Kimpom. How many? How many top fifty wins do they have right now? One, three, two, three. That three and that. Hey, three is not an insignificant and number. Who do they come? One of them's Florida, though. Keep in mind, in yeah. Florida's pretty highly. Florida, I think, is pretty overrated in Ken Palm right now. Still, sure. Yeah. All right. Um. All right. Two more quickies here. Uh. One. Utah at Arizona. Uh. I actually kind of am feeling Utah on that one. You what? Uh, you think Utah wins at Arizona? I don't. I think there's a handful of of teams that I just I'll never pick to lose at home. It doesn't mean that they won't lose at home or can't lose at home. But like, I'm not gonna pick anybody at Rupp. I'm not gonna pick anybody at Arizona. Not gonna pick anybody at Gonzaga. Not gonna pick mm-hmm. anybody at Hilton. Not gonna pick anyone at Allen Fieldhouse. So um, neutral court. Let's go play at Utah. I'll pick Utah at Arizona. I'll go Arizona over Utah. Okay, Sam. Any thoughts on that one? <sighs> I think it's going to be a really tight defensive game that comes down to the last possession, so I'm copping out. <laughs> I do think that will be the best game between ranked teams this weekend. I agree. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to Louisville-Duke, so what do you get? You, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah think, I think that Arizona-Utah is going to be better. Well, I'm, I should, I think, should I think Duke is going to win that game by eight points. What? On the road? Duke by eight? <laughs> Norlander? Norlander, are you the one with the Coke problem? <laughs> I'm like totally on the other side of that too. I think Louisville's going to win by like eight. <laughs> I, I I I will say this though: Duke's um, 
issues are undeniable at this point. It won't surprise me at all if they go in there and win. I mean, they're I'm still, just, right. I, yeah. I'm, I just, I don't know. They've already won at the Kohl Center. Let's not pretend that they yeah. can go somewhere else and win, right? Like, yeah, it's, I just think they're going to freaking come out and play out of their minds. And it, it's going to be tough, but I, I, just, I feel like it'll be good. And then final three, four minutes, it'll kind of, you know, they'll, they won't run away with it. But um, I don't think Louisville will – you'll ever get the sense Louisville has the chance to win it in the final two minutes or so. I am looking forward to being there more than anything, though. I am looking forward to going to sleep. I have been up. It's, uh, <laughs> it's about 8.15 uh, Eastern on Thursday night right now, p.m. I've been up since 4.00. Four? A.M. and that was and that's after sleeping two hours, because I was in a television studio till till like roughly one thirty, and then by the time I fell asleep, it was or I was in a television studio at twelve thirty, fell asleep around one forty five or two. So I slept two hours, and then um and then did multiple flights, and so I'm now under the weather. My immune system cannot handle this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to bed. You guys can keep arguing about this dumb no, shit. No, we want won't. To. GP, real quick, I'm I'm four episodes into season two of The Americans, and uh, it, it's good, right? You love it. Oh, I I freaking love it. Um, and uh, did yeah, you so know? Hopefully... Did you know Kurt Busch used to date Carrie Russell? No, <laughs> it's a true story. Oh my god! Now I just got it. Yeah, true story. Yeah, yeah. Quick delay beat. Nice. Hey, nice. I think she's an assassin. I really do. I think that uh, I think Kurt Busch's ex girlfriend is an assassin. You believe that story? I believe he believes that story. <laughs> you, believe, you believe he believes it? It's not a lie if you believe it. Somebody okay. has to be an assassin. Do we acknowledge? Do we acknowledge that in this world there are assassins? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, there are there are assassins in this world, and it is awesome and terrifying to think about because those no, people. I, no, hey, listen, I'm being dead serious here. Like, okay, I, we're not talking about unicorns, okay? I'm talking about. Do you just answer these questions for me? Do you think assassins exist? Yes, one hundred percent. Okay, then why can't she be one? Plus, have you looked at her background? She actually worked for a company that did like covert operations for the United States government. At the yeah, very they, least, she's assassin ishy. Yeah, and it's 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 the source here. That's all. Uh, listen, I want it desperately to be true, but my only concern with the whole story is if you're an assassin and you're getting roughed up, would you call in the authorities and blow your assassin cover, or would you just like be an assassin and handle it yourself? No, that's the thing. I think that's the deal. Is like if you take on that role, the, there is no calling. That, no, you you accept the terms that you might. Die alone, and no one knows what you were all about. And that's you know, that's that's the only red flag in the whole thing is that. Um, well, my would, question also is: if she's an assassin, why would she tell her boyfriend? Like, typically, you don't tell anyone that you're an assassin. So, I, correct. Did Kirk? Did Kurt Bush just like catch her in the act? Are we? Thing? Are we thinking that is Kurt, Kurt Bush, Bush is savvy enough to uncover the fact that his girlfriend is an assassin, and then she, crazy she came, enough to stay with her afterwards? She, she came home. Well, okay, let's take this step by step. First off, she came home one night, like covered in blood, and like. Uh, brain matter, okay? And which which she denies and says she's writing a screenplay about. Okay, well, either way, Kurt Bush believes this, right? And so your girl comes home covered in blood and brain matter, and you're like, yo, so what uh, what happened? She's like, yo, I was just with John Jones, and he's getting over a coke problem. She says, uh, I'm an assassin. I have to level with you. And then, okay, so then once she levels with you that she's an assassin, because people tell people secrets all the time. I don't I don't know why, but they just do. So you, you level with the person you love that you're an assassin, and then... And then, um, then you got to make this choice. Okay, is it crazy to date an assassin? On one hand, yes. But what's crazier? Breaking up with an assassin. You going to break up with an assassin? Uh, I've had a hard. I had a hard time in my pickle. life. 
I had a hard time in my life, like, breaking up with people anyway, because I was like, I don't want to hurt her feelings, or I don't want to, like, she seems like a nice enough girl. But or... I tell you what, here's the deal, is if you're dating an assassin, the best move to possibly make is publicly out the assassin, so that if you go down, people will yeah. then immediately suspect that you were killed by the assassin. I That's a really good point. I think she's an assassin. Here's the other thing, she's also cute. Have you seen her pictures? I have not. Okay, she's um, she's probably uh, b slightly below average for a NASCAR wife or girlfriend, but like above average just for like your normal walking around. And so it, it, it sort of leads to this idea, like who are the most famous assassins in our country? Uh, Angelina Jolie. <laughs> yes, famous, legitimate assassin. And Carrie Russell, right? Yes. And I think it benefits to be hot if you're an assassin because you can trick people into like you could trick men into not into like just like coming back to your hotel so you can assassinate them. Carrie Russell does Garner an alias too. Yeah, yeah, see what I'm talking about. Carrie yep. Russell does it all the time. She like goes and she meets like some guy who's like working on a like a, a nuclear head, and she like bumps into him at the bar, and like within minutes she's like, "So would you like to go back to my hotel room?" And there's no scenario under which this dude in the bar would ever have this girl, this beautiful woman, looks like Carrie Russell coming on to him. Uh, but but he doesn't care about that. He's just happy that she's taking her shirt off. And so she takes her shirt off, and he's just really, really happy. And then she assassinates him because she's an assassin. And so I think that she, this Kurt Busch's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, she checks all these boxes. She has a, a, a background, uh, a professional background where she works for a company that might be involved in this type of work. She's pretty, and she's been covered in blood and brain matter. What more do you need to know? I guess I don't, man. She's an I think you just sold me. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Everybody, you read the headline because it came out earlier this week. You read the headline and it's like, Kurt Bush testifies his ex-girlfriend's an assassin and you all laugh. And I looked at this and I'm like, that bitch is an assassin. <laughs> That's what I thought. I, I started really diving in. And she's an assassin. Or at the very least, at the very least, she has convinced him at some point she's an assassin. I have to go to bed. <laughs> I have to go to bed. I'm going to think about this some more. I'll get back to you later on. I think we can right. perish delirium. It was great to be back with you guys. Go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest podcast. Make sure to do that. And uh, I'm going to go to Louisville, and then I'm going to come back home, and I will talk to you again on Monday. Take care.